there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Back in the 1970s, I used to work with a very keen and successful course match angler, Dave Trafford, who once took me down to the River Trent for a match session come lesson, which as I recall was quite successful, and which as a non-course angler I enjoyed very much. Then, as so often happens to people in the 20s, work and family commitments take control of great swathes of your life, and as is the way, people simply drift off in the separate directions, which in part explains why I haven't seen Dave, in whose company I am right now, from those days to this. As I've said, at the time you was a very keen course match angler, but I believe you felt you was becoming stale and progressively less competitive, which you put down to a loss of interest and initially took what was supposedly a short break, which as family and other commitments kicked in, ultimately turned out to be the best part of 25 years, with quite a recent return to competitive fishing where your speciality now is canals. And over that 25 years, as you'd expect, a lot of change has taken place, including some very fundamental shifts in the tackle and tactics used which when it happens progressively over a fishing lifetime, goes by almost unnoticed, as it appears to evolve quite slowly. But in your case, I suspect, after such a long absence, it appears to be much more profound, and may even to some extent have had you playing catch-up. So what are your observations on that score? Yeah, I think the, the basics of the certainly over that period of time, and also improvements in the tackle you can get, way back, then when I match fished, you know, those years ago, a lot of the bits and pieces of tackle were to make ourselves, you know, I made all my own floats. The things you tinkered about with, you know, you didn't buy anything and uh, use it, you had to tinker about with it or, or make it from scratch. Whereas I think these days, you know, you go into a tackle shop now, it's a range of tackle you can get, it's incredible. And, and most anglers nowadays will use everything, you know, every item you've got is straight off the shelf. Now, you know, being old school, what I, I tend to do, I, I think I still seldom buy anything that I use exactly as it is. I will, I'll always play about it, tinker about and <laughs> modify it in some way. Floats in particular, I still make most of my own floats. Peacock, quill, balsam, wood. You can buy all the materials now. You can buy carbon fibre, stems and the plastic, the bristles, uh, even the little eyes you can buy, so... Um, I suppose that's a hobby as well, making bits and pieces for fishing. Would it be right in thinking that first time round it was primarily the rod and reel era, with poles perhaps just starting to creep in onto the UK scene? Not quite. When I started fishing, obviously the youngster, it was rod and reel then, there was no such thing as the pole. I suppose I must have been in my teens maybe when fiery last poles came along. But, you know, the weight of those things was incredible. I think we got up to about maybe seven or eight metres with fiberglass, but it was very, very heavy. But no, carbon fibre poles had come along uh, before I packed up much fishing, and uh, I mean, obviously nothing like the quality of a pole you can get today, but uh, I think they got then up to about maybe about 11 metres, something like that. But, you know, hell of a weight uh, when you try to fish them at that length, but still very effective in the day. Now I've got a pole that's 16 metres and uh, quite manageable at that length. It's uh, a different world. I said in my introduction that initially you took a short break to recharge your batteries. But what's the full story behind that? And what was it that ultimately tempted you back? 
the reason I, I drifted out is that I think I've just got a bit fed up with it really, a bit stale, and uh, fished very seriously match fishing between the edges of a boat, late teens and early thirties. You know, it was quite a period of time. And it just got all too much eventually. I mean, it, you know, it became almost, almost a full-time job. And that is at the expense of other things that you want to do with your life. You know, it's at the expense of, I suppose, uh, relationships, the expense of work as well, you know. And, and people can just become sort of preoccupied with a, a hobby that uh, has got out of hand, really. So, well, I've been a very successful match for quite a number of years, but then I've begun to uh, win less noticeably less and, and I knew why and, and I knew exactly why it's because I, I wasn't spending the time preparing for matches I just lost some of the interest and, and some of the edge so um, I think I'm the type of person if I do anything I like to do it properly so uh, I wasn't doing it properly so I thought well you know uh, this showing no sign of changing so I think I'll call it a day for a bit <laughs> probably not ever intending to pack up for, you know, for the period of time I did pack up for, but um, once you stop fishing, it's sort of out of your blood and you just haven't got the urge to go fishing anymore. Although I never quite packed up, I did a little bit of pleasure fishing over the years, I went on the ribble maybe a couple of times a season. Holidays as well, that was a time when I could fish, when we went on holiday, often to France for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, took me tackle with me often then and... Uh, I'd fish you two with them. With the girls, when they were younger, they enjoyed fishing. You won't go now, but way back then, they enjoyed a trip. So I never fully packed up, but I had no thoughts ever of, re of returning to match fishing. But um, that came about by accident, really, because one of the places I did go fishing occasionally, and this is going back probably to about ten years ago, I started going on Angles Art Reservoir, in the back of Chorley there. And I just pleasure fishing, and I enjoyed that for maybe a season or two, going occasionally. And then I discovered uh, that it started running matches there every Sunday. So I thought, oh, you know, why not have a go on one of these matches? So I started doing that. And after a period of time, I started winning a few of those matches. Only a little sort of knock-ups, 20 pegs. That's the uh, maximum number of pegs they had on there. I started winning a few and I, I suppose I got the bug again. Having done that for two or three seasons, and this would now be about four or five years ago, I thought, well, I'll have a go again at doing what I used to do a lot of, which is fishing canal, which is a, a better match circuit, really. There are more anglers out on those matches and uh, perhaps a little bit more competitive than the matches I've been going on. So yeah, I joined Wigan Anglers Association, they're, they're the local club that tends to organise most of the canal matches locally and uh, joined a local club based around the tackle shop, the fishing tackle shop in Luster Call. Joined their team, which you know, they were good enough to have me because I, I really wasn't very good at canals having had so long out. So I uh, got going again. Then in 2009, I'd only been going on canals maybe about a year then, we had a team in the Division 1 National on the uh, canals around Stafford, the Staffs and Worcester Shropshire Union and Trent and Mersey. So we had a team in that and I was lucky enough to win that match uh, individually with 
£27 a chub. Obviously, that's uh, probably, on the natural venues, probably the best match a match angler could win. Although there's huge money now, I think, to be one of commercial venues uh, when people get to the final of uh, the big matches on commercial venues. But for a, a, an angler, a match angler who fishes natural venues, Division 1 um, title is really something uh, big to win. So obviously, 2009, having won that, I was aware then, uh, <laughs> and about the same time I was retiring from work, so I had the time to fish more. So, yeah, I suppose since then I've fished canals, uh, mostly. Occasionally, like some rivers, but mostly canals, all the time. Matches every weekend, one midweek usually on uh, tomorrow, actually Wednesday. Midweek match, so I'm uh, dead keen again, just as keen as I ever was. Have you ever come across a chap named John Inman? I know the name. He's also a canal specialist who's done a couple of interviews for audio angling. He now just fishes small matches on commercial waters, but was a very specialist and very successful canal angler in his time on waters where maybe a couple of pounds or so would win a match. What is it then that motivates people, yourself included, to want to fish hard waters sparsely populated by mainly smaller fish? Ooh, that's a difficult one. I think it's people who fish canals tend to be people who the younger anglers don't tend to go on canals now. They uh, will go on commercials where fish are bigger generally because they stock bigger and uh, not suggesting they're easier to catch but uh, you can get a much bigger way to fish. Canals I think guarantee some sport. There's not many occasions that you'll go on a canal and not catch anything. For example, two matches at weekend, £6 one day and a little over £5 the other day. And each of those days had over 100 fish. So, you know, it's very active. Obviously not really big when you've 100 fish for £5, but uh, it is a sort of a guaranteed uh, sport. Whereas I think on many commercials, I've never actually fishermen that's talking to people who do, I think once winter arrives, you know, the weather gets cold, uh, you can have many fishless days or, or maybe, you know, you sat there for five hours for one or two nights. Whereas at canals, generally, that isn't the case. Uh, there will be a lot more um, smaller fish to catch. In fact, a lot of anglers who fish commercials during the summer will come onto canals for the winter. Deliberate move to... Um, avoid the blanks that they might have had on, on commercial fisheries. I would think that, tactically speaking, if you can fish well on a canal with all the scaling down and finesse that requires, plus of course we're talking not only about small fish but also wild fish, then you should be able to catch fish anywhere. Certainly the odds look stacked against you when fishing a canal. So what are the types of tactics most likely to deliver a decent result? It's virtually all pole fishing these days. There are a few occasions when you might use, you know, for example, if you drew a wide section of the canal and uh, you might get a tip rod out and fish, you know, with a quiver tip or a swing tip. But 99 times out of 100, where most matches are exclusively the narrow section of canal, which might be up to about 15, 16 metres wide, the pole's the king, really, because you've got such close control. Canal's always... 99 times out of 100 will have a skim on the top, the top will be moving and rod and reel tact it's really very difficult to fish on a canal. I mean that's where, you know, going back 
50 years, that's the only way we could fish them. But you can see um, the, the huge difference in, in the catch you, you would have got then, the catch you'll get now using a pole. It's just so effective for the pole is, uh, you know, with a short line, maybe a line six foot long from the tip of the pole to the hook, fishing in, let's say, three or four foot of water across the canal. And you've got incredibly close control. Control, obviously, is one aspect of it. But equally important is getting your bait, its presentation and your feeding right too. Yeah, I think that probably applies to any type of fishing, you know, whether it's specimen hunting, match fishing, sea fishing. People who get the basics right, the tackle right, and, and understand the way to present a bait, they'll be the people who will catch more fish. Feeding is very important so on a canal, uh, getting the feed right, knowing when to feed, what quantity of bait to feed, what type of bait to feed. These days, more than we used to understand years ago, there's, there's a lot to swim rotation, feeding different baits in different areas of the peg, or sometimes the same baits in different areas of the peg and picking a few fish off here, and then, you know, moving two or three fish there, and try somewhere different two or three fish there. And that can keep the fish settled, because if you're plundering one part of the peg, fish after fish, then obviously uh, they will get cagey eventually, and they'll be back off and stop feeding. So uh, I found that to be very important, they were rotating the uh, peg. Going back to John Inman again, when he fished the Division 1 competitions, he said that many of the clubs and matches in those days would borrow certain baits. Bloodworm, for example, was a particularly Preston area bait. As such, he became a squat specialist. But given a free hand, what are the best baits, tactics and feeding regimes to get the maximum out of most canal scenarios? Bloodworm is an incredibly effective bait, and it still is the case that many clubs or, or waters will, will, it will be bound out right. There are a number of waters now, particularly canals down in the Midlands, where they allow bloodworm and joke uh, during the winter month. They ban it through the summer, they allow it during the winter. The reasoning behind that is that it does allow the anglers fishing the winter notches when it can be very tough at times. And, you know, let's say we've had a frost the night before, a very cold day. Anglers will usually catch fish using bloodworm and joke. Circuit I tend to fish, which is around the northwest of England here. Bloodworm is banned all year round. But bread has been a revelation to me. That's a bait that I use most of the time now, summer and winter. And um, it's not something we fish years ago. Years ago, it was round here, bloodworm and joke. And I think the fish became preoccupied with those baits and go along with any other bait, and then you wouldn't compete. But since it isn't used round here now, and uh, I think people have put a lot of thought into where, in, in ways to use bread properly, and Take a match where both baits are allowed, often bread will outfish bloodworm now. Not always, but uh, often that's the case. I don't miss fishing bloodworm really. I mean, that, that used to be, I suppose, one of the methods I fished most, but it's such a fiddly bait, and as you're getting older, I suppose, and your eyes aren't quite as good, which mine aren't, <laughs> I don't really miss it. Uh, we did have a league a couple of years ago where it was allowed just for that league, I think it was five or six matches on the Rufford Canal. And I enjoyed fishing it for those matches, but, and a lot of fish were caught on it, but uh, no, I don't miss it really, and most people I think these days are quite happy to fish other birds. And the weights suggest, I think, that bloodworm really wouldn't 
I think in many cases produce better weights than catching on bread, casties, squats, pinkies. Looking at things over the past 25 years, would I be right in saying that changes on the canal match scene have not been as marked as the changes experienced in other areas of the match circuit? Yeah. When I started fishing again, it really was a sort of revelation, because I'd not bought the angling papers, as I said, never quite packed up. I'd fished a little bit, but just the simplest of pleasure fishing. But uh, when I started properly again, and by the angling times, I'd looked through the match pages, and I didn't recognise the venue. You know, I'd look through the northwest section, the whole of the region matches, and maybe I'd find one on a, a venue I recognised, maybe on the Lees and Liverpool Canal, but every other match report was from some place I'd never heard of, and, and uh, these are commercials. I wouldn't knock it, you know, I mean, people love it. So I have many friends I used to fish with it who dedicated to fishing commercials and never again once uh, set foot on a canal they, they absolutely love it but I think having at my age I'm 64 now just really got going again in the last few years I was very happy just to go back to doing what I know So is the canal match circuit independent from the rest of the course match circuit in the sense that it attracts who it attracts and the rest do other things and if so how is it structured? Well people who are fishing on canals who suppose well, I'm a little at the older end of the, the spectrum but there are um, very very few younger anglers I think a, a younger match angler now will gravitate towards commercials on canals you might find a handful of anglers in the sort of teens 20s but 19 out of 20 anglers will be 40 plus and we've got some coming along to the matches who are in the 80s. <laughs> you tend to see them more in the summer, but uh, I don't feel particularly old. I guess the average age of a canal match angler now must be 50, not young. Do you think this trend of the older anglers fishing the canals and the younger ones preferring the commercials has anything to do with what the two age groups have been brought up with? Or is it a natural part of growing older to gravitate towards the slower pace of the canal match scene? It doesn't seem to be doing no. I think most of the people fishing canals are people who've never left canals, you know, they fish them all their lives. A number of them do fish commercials during the summer and um, go back on canals in the winter, but I think it's just what you know. I, I enjoy canals because as a young man, as a youngster, uh, that's what I started doing, really enjoyed it and still get that same enjoyment now from doing that. Whereas a young angler now, I think, will go on a commercial, and that is what they begin then to do. And I think most of them have never been on a, a natural venue. They fish commercials that are very convenient. So on the canal, you've people walking along the solar path, you've got cyclists, you've lots of sort of disruption. You've got all the dog mess, which is a, a real <laughs> problem these days. People don't always seem to... Uh, pick it up. So it's not the most friendly place to be a canal towpath. And, and of course on a commercial you get none of that. They often have a cafe, for example. The bigger commercials, well, I believe, will have a cafe. You, know, you can go and get your breakfast there before you fish. Parking is very convenient. You've no long walks to your peg. You've no people walking around, as I say. You know, you've no disruption. I can see all those attractions to it, and I'm sure if I was a much younger man, I guess I'd be doing that as well. That's I'm just happy to do what I did back then. 
Because of your 25-year absence and the opportunity to compare and contrast two totally different eras, do you think that commercial fisheries offering shortcuts to almost everything, depending of course on how they're stocked, coupled to a willingness these days to sit with high-protein baits for as long as it takes to get the desired result, is having a detrimental effect on the pool of anglers from which good all-round match teams and national squads can ultimately be chosen. Or to put it another way, whatever happened to serving an angling apprenticeship? I think to some extent, yes, it will serve Not that I ever aspired to that level, but the national team, they are faced every year with a natural venue in different countries around Europe. They're not fishing on commercial venues, so... The England team um, at the moment, some of whom I used to fish with years ago, have all had a grounding on natural venues, be it on canals or, or rivers, even though some of them now fish commercial venues, probably for the biggest part of their match fishing time. They will still fish natural venues from time to time, but they've had a grounding and education on fishing natural venues. But yeah, when that the current generation of England anglers disappear, then I do fear for the future, really, because many of the younger anglers just haven't had the right sort of grounding to tackle the, the, the natural venues that they would be first with fishing for England abroad. In addition to that, are anglers now losing the ability to successfully target certain species of fish, such as perch, roach and rub, which often don't appear on the menu at many commercial fisheries these days? I think so, yeah. During the summer months, most commercials matches are dominated by carp, from what I can gather. I think when it cools off a bit, there are other species in it. I think there are quite a number of commercial fishery owners now who stock the waters with roach, with perch. And I think they find, they, they, these species find their way in, into those waters naturally anyway, without being stocked. So those species will feature in, in matches, but um, it seems odd to me. You've got commercial fisheries with loads of barbel, in which barbel, I also were the species that were meant to be in a, a river. But matches have been one with barbel. Then you've got species like Ide, which I think aren't natural to Britain. So, uh, yeah, I think these fish that I enjoy catching, not a commercial, because obviously, you know, <laughs> a match angler is looking to get the best weights and you she can from the peg, then uh, they're often seen as nuisance fish. And I don't, I don't think that's meant in sort of a derogatory sort of way. It's just that uh, you're catching a two or three ounce roach, that's preventing the two or three pound carp from taking your bait and wasting time. So they are seen as a nuisance fish. On top of which, carp fishing has become something of a national obsession, to the point where some argue it's that, and that alone, which is propping up both the coarse tackle trade and the tackle industry. That said, there are moves afoot by the British Record Fish Committee to have all alien species removed not only from the record fish list, but also from all waters containing them. And like it or not, that would also include carp. Well, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that, and I'm not sure I'd quite approve of that once the fish is here. I mean, carp, for example, I think... They've been in this country for centuries. I think in some of the old country estate lakes, carp were stopped not sure how long ago. Supposedly, it was by monks back in the Middle Ages to provide a ready source of fish for eating on a Friday. Yeah, yeah. 
maybe some of the different species which have been introduced in more recent years. There's a case for uh, trying to eradicate them, but uh, uh, that's probably easier said than done. <laughs> Perhaps a time will come when most people can only catch carp, either through popularity or fish availability, and that everything that's gone before in terms of skills and methods will sadly be lost. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but providing that's what people want to do, then maybe there's no harm in that. But, I mean, obviously other species won't disappear, but they'll just be ignored and, and not fish for. They'll still be there. Maybe in years to come, people will look at things in a different way and uh, begin to enjoy catching roach and perch and bream again. Who knows? But for you it remains canals all the way to the end. Seems to be, yeah. Too long in the tooth, I think, to change now. So it's been two setting your ways now, as opposed to rising to the strength of the challenge. Yes, yeah, I think once you get to certain age, you, you um, don't pick things up as quickly. Even though I've been back in canals now 45 years, it's only been this past year or two that I felt really comfortable with it again, and uh, felt that I've been... Uh, getting, you know, the best from a, a peg. And I'm still learning, but to take up something, uh, you know, completely it's a new branch of the sport, and fishing commercials, I believe, is very specialised, the friends who, who do it. And there's a lot to learn. It's equally as skilled as anything I do. Some would argue more so. But there's an awful lot to learn, and I think at my age, well, you know, I may as well just carry on uh, doing what I do now, and trying to develop doing that. In view of the lack of stock, small size and relative sparsity of fish in many canals, they have to rate amongst the hardest venues to get consistently good results from. Maybe to catch a decent net of fish you do, because many novices to fishing will, will go on a commercial and still catch lots of fish and big fish. But I think once you sort of reach the level of, of match fishing, I'm sure from the talking to people that fishing on a commercial venue, you know, it's just as difficult to win. And, you know, just as much skill is needed to win those matches as uh, is to win a match on a canal at that level. OK, so we've got a small group of budding match anglers looking for a direction, and you've been charged with encouraging them to fish canals. How do you sell it to them? <sighs> I don't think I could. I think there are many things to be said for fishing commercials, but uh, a young angler, I don't think, would be interested in fishing a canal, I'm afraid. The fish are too small. The anglers that they would be competing against, if you're talking about match angling, wouldn't be their generation. There would be very few uh, younger anglers there. You know, people like to mix, I think, and socialise and fish with people of uh, something like their own generation. I think to sell canal match angling to a young angler might be very difficult. But in, say, another 40 or 50 years, he or she presumably won't take the same level of persuasion. Oh, yeah, who knows? Things change. I mean, fashions come and go, don't they? You know, the fashion at the moment is for match anglers or any aspiring younger match anglers to fish the commercial scene. But, you know, who knows? In years to come, maybe that will uh, lose its appeal and the uh, appeal to. Uh, Fish natural venues again may be stronger, who knows? I could see that happening actually, because I think one thing that probably commercial venues will 
suffer from in years to come is fish diseases because I think they are grossly overstocked. And I think a lot of problems that are there already, I think, are being hushed up by fishery owners. You know, you do hear tells whole fishery being wiped out by this disease or the other. And it can't be healthy. It's unnatural for that number of fish to be in one confined space of water. So I think that's probably a, a problem that will be there increasingly in years to come. I don't know. Maybe that will turn a few angles away from commercial venues. And there was me thinking you'd persuade me out onto the canal towpath the next time there's too much wind to get out to sea. Nah, I think I'll be sticking to the Ribble Barbel and the odd commercial visit, which despite me being older than you, I actually do find a more attractive prospect, particularly the ones containing carp. But, respect to those who do match fish canals and can grind out consistent results. My thanks then to Dave Trafford for inviting me around with the recording equipment, particularly not having fish with nor even clapped eyes on me for the past... It's got to be 40 years. Mm-hmm.